You may be seated. Well, in light of the uh, events at the United States Capitol last week, I switched what I had originally planned to preach on last Sunday. Um, so today, we are going to look at the text that was originally planned for last week. Um, but I thought just to share a little of what was on my mind then, or where my mind was at prior to the events at the Capitol, um, you know, as we entered into the new year, I, uh, like I suspect many, um, both, you know, you here and people just around the community and around our nation, uh, you know, I found, found myself feeling optimistic about what 2021 would bring and, you know, hopefully this steady return to normalcy once again. You know, as if the start of the new year was a pivotal turning point for, for our nation, for our community, and for our own lives. Not that I thought that this would, you know, magically all happen just immediately as 2021 started, but, you know, that we would get there, that a corner had been rounded and we were on our way. Well, last week, you know, and everything that happened, it just felt like a huge setback. I just, it felt like 2021 kind of gave us a sucker punch right from the beginning. And for me, it interrupted that feeling of optimism. But I'm still hopeful that we will see our way through this pandemic, and my hope, and, and I believe that we will, find a greater sense of unity across our country. Well, our text today is a really insightful passage of Scripture, and I hope that it immediately sounds familiar to you, that the, that the words sound familiar to you. But before we read it, let us pray. Eternal God, we are prone to fear and doubt, to, um, to pride and defensiveness. We often refuse to let our guard down for fear of being exposed or vulnerable. So we pray this morning, break through the walls that we have built up, that you would build us anew. Where there is fear and doubt, grant us confidence and assurance in your love for us. Where there is pride and defensiveness, grant us humility and gentleness. And may your word truly be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path to guide us in your truth that we may live according to your will. Through your son Jesus we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 14. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what was planted. A time to kill, kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, so I guess social distance. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
also he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. God's truth for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Well, this passage does sound familiar to you, uh, especially for you 60s music lovers. It's the inspiration behind the song, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds. Uh, sometimes I think it's called for every season. And uh, I saw Wes here this morning with his guitar. I was like, hey, Wes, do you, do you know how to play this song by any chance? And he, he got pretty close. I was actually really impressed. Oh, you want to try it? man of many talents he is. But the song goes, you know, to every season, turn, turn, turn. There is a reason, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. And then it goes through um, kind of that list of things that we read, a time to be born and a time to die. And what the, I thought about playing it this morning from the song, but since we live stream, I'm not sure about copyright issues. So, um, you know the song, as Wes played, just humming along in your head if you want. But the song takes almost verbatim uh, the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, at least from the King James Version. And, but the song doesn't sing all the verses exactly in order. It does mix up the order uh, from how they appear in the text. But it goes through all eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And so... You know, in reality, when we think about this song that was written in the 60s, really the, the credit for it goes to the Bible. You know, and the lyrics are not just 60 years old, they're 3,000 years old. And I don't know about you, but I just find that fascinating, that these words had such a relevance then as they do to us now. They inspire song um, for all to hear. And the book of Ecclesiastes, it, it was... It's traditionally believed that it was written by King Solomon, though the book doesn't mention Solomon by name. We see in chapter 1, verse 1, right at the very beginning of the book, the, it says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And it mentions this um, a few verses later as well, reinforces that. But something so ancient, 3,000 years old, so insightful, so poetic, and just as relevant, the same big questions that we have today about life and existence and our lives and our purpose were being pondered way, way, way back then. And the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole is interesting because it's, it's almost as if it's a journey of sorts of one person's personal reflections on life. And Ecclesiastes considers the question, you know, what is this all about? What is the meaning of life? You know, that's where we want to hear like Morgan Freeman's voice or something. You know, the meaning of life. That's some deep thinking type stuff. And I know you might be sitting there, you're thinking, this is Sunday 
morning, right? I have not had lunch yet. This is too deep a topic to be talking about before lunchtime. And I'm not really a morning person. I don't blame you. I'd be thinking the same thing. You know, these aren't the thoughts that we want to think about when we're watching football on TV or going to the grocery store and trying to pick out which type of cereal to get on the cereal aisle. These are the types of questions that we think about when life interrupts us or when life overwhelms us or stops us in our tracks or maybe, maybe it's just in those quiet moments when we find ourselves unable to sleep in the middle of the night, the things that keep us up. These are the things that often, for the most part, we try to avoid thinking about. We would rather be distracted, you know, by what's going on around us or just distracted, uh, just being busy doing something, rather than face the deeper existential questions of the meaning of life and why we exist. But again, it's interesting. For thousands of years, people have been trying to find meaning in existence. And 3,000 years ago, King Solomon was doing the same thing. And I don't know this, we don't know this from the text, but I always just kind of imagine Solomon, when he's thinking about these things, he's, he's found himself a quiet space. You know, maybe he's sitting by a creek, you know, a little babbling brook, just kind of watching the water go by. Maybe he's under a tree in the springtime, watching the buds begin to bloom. Or maybe it's autumn, and the leaves are changing colors, and falling from the tree. Maybe he's perched on a hilltop overlooking the plains and valleys of, of the creation. Or maybe like us, he just couldn't sleep one night and just started thinking. Whatever he was doing, he was thinking about life. And earlier in, in chapter one, he tells us his purpose for writing this, this book it says, I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Solomon uses those qualifying phrases, all that is done under heaven, or sometimes he says, under the sun. And what he means by those phrases is everything that happens on this earth, everything that happens under heaven, under the sun, everything that happens on this earth, and he's trying to find meaning for these things that happen around us. What is the meaning of all this? Well, as a part of his thinking in Ecclesiastes, Solomon understands something fundamental about the universe and life, and that's change. Life is filled with change. Last Sunday, if, you'll, if you remember, I mentioned the quote, the more things change, the more things stay the same. I think that was coined in like the 1800s. Um, I'm going to forget who it was. But today I thought I would offer two more old sayings. And these actually have the roots all the way in the ancient world. Heraclitus was the philosopher's name. Heraclitus of Ephesus. He was a Greek philosopher that lived between about 535 B.C. to 475 B.C. So just for a little perspective, Heraclitus lived just prior to the great uh, Greek philosopher Socrates, who was born in 470 B.C., and then Aristotle, who lived in the 300s B.C. 
But for biblical perspective, Heracletus lived about 500 years after King Solomon, but also 500 years before Jesus. So just for perspective there. But the two quotes that have their roots in Heracletus' work, and I say have their roots because they're not exactly what he said and not exactly kind of the full meaning of what he meant, but they find their origins in his work. And the first one is, change is the only constant. Have you all ever heard that one? Change is the only constant. The only thing that doesn't change is that everything's changing, right? And the other one that comes from Heraclitus's work is, you cannot step into the same river twice. You all heard that one? And this is true because, you know, the water in a river at any given moment is always flowing. The river is always changing. You can't step into the same spot of water twice. By nature, a river is constantly changing. Well, change is a part of life. You know, whether we really think about it or not, change is a constant. And it doesn't take a great philosopher to tell us that. I just think some of these quotes are interesting. But we know that, you know, sometimes change is just small. It's incremental. It happens slowly, day by day. We are not exactly the same person today that we were yesterday. The events of today are not exactly the same as they were yesterday or will be tomorrow. Sometimes it's just small and unnoticeable. And sometimes change is something big. Sometimes it hits us like a semi-truck. Change can, you know, put us in a better place or it can pull the rug out from under us. It can be a happy change or, as we often know in life, it can be a devastating change. In our passage today, Solomon understood the reality that in life we will experience change. There is a time for everything. There are seasons of life that are good and seasons of life that are difficult. There is war and there is peace. There is love and hate, mourning and dancing, weeping and laughing, birth and death. Those are a part of life. Those are a reality. We all experience different seasons of life. But here's the thing. The promise of Scripture is that God is with us through it all. Providence. Other than being the the capital of Rhode Island, the word providence is used to describe God's ongoing care for creation. I don't mean just creation as in like rocks and grass and trees and squirrels and, you know, that type of stuff. I'm talking about creation as a whole, you and me, the, event, the events of our lives. The God of Scripture is not a God who is far off and removed from the happenings of the world, but the God of Scripture is a God who is intimately involved with it and with you and me. The God of Scripture is the God who not only created the universe, but who made a covenant with Abraham, who revealed himself to Moses and led the Israelites out of Egypt, who spoke through the prophets. He is the God who sent his one and only Son into the world to be our Savior and Redeemer. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Word made flesh who dwelled among us, full of grace and truth. He is the God who 
gives us His Spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to intercede for us. He is the God to whom the Apostle Paul says, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. And who the Apostle Peter says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. He is the God who Psalm 139 speaks of when it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And I could go through the whole rest of Psalm 139, but I think you get my point that the God of Scripture is the God that cares for us. But here's an important point. The Bible never tells us that bad things won't happen in life. In fact, as we saw in our passage today, it's a foregone conclusion that bad things will happen and do happen in life. God's providence doesn't guarantee that our every human desire will be met or that we will never experience pain or loss. This is no prosperity gospel. There are going to be ups and there are going to be downs. But God's providence does, however, assure us that God cares for you and that nothing, absolutely nothing, can jeopardize or compromise that promise. God is sovereign. And his providence endures unabated. He will accomplish his purposes. And it's precisely that because God cares for us that our lives have meaning. If God didn't care for us, our lives would have no meaning. But because he cares for us, our lives have meaning. I mean, that's why we exist in the first place. In Ecclesiastes, what Solomon wants us to understand is that our life's meaning is not, isn't just simply in our work. It's not just in our interest or our riches or our ambitions. You know, all the things that keep us busy and occupy so much of our time and energy and focus, that's not what life is about. All those things unto themselves are utterly meaningless. So where does that leave us? What is our life about? What do we do now? Well, at the very end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us his conclusion to to this question of life's meaning and what we are to do. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. So, in other sense, in conclusion, right? Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. To fear God means to revere God, or in other words, worship. To worship God. Our meaning is not found in ourselves, but in God. All we have left to do is worship. I don't mean just stand around and singing songs, even though I love that song, He is Exalted. As I was, we were singing that this morning, I was thinking about uh, this idea of worship. But worship It's a daily posture of reverence before God. It's a surrender to God and a delighting in God. It is a response of joy and thanks to God's grace. To exalt the Lord 
with the whole of our lives. It is like Paul said, and whatever you do, whether word or deed, do everything in the name of Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our life's meaning is not found in what's under the sun. Our life's meaning is found in what is eternal. God has put eternity in our hearts, Solomon says. He has made us for more than just this world. We are a part of a bigger redemptive story. Our souls matter and our life's meaning is found in God. And all this is through faith in Christ. For Paul tells us, if then you have been raised with, with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When I think about just our day-to-day, and especially in this day and age, we fail often, I think, too often. Uh, we fail to think about the deep significance of life. Like I said earlier, we kind of avoid that kind of rabbit hole of what is life all about and existence all about. What is our purpose? But we're also too addicted to distraction. In the endless expanse of the internet, you know, that's, that's in our pockets, basically. We can stream anything, anytime, from anywhere we want. You know, if we're waiting somewhere, whether it's you know, maybe at the grocery store or getting your oil changed or getting a new set of tires or maybe it's uh, picking kids up from school or whatever it may be. We often just pull out our phones to start texting with someone or check Facebook or Instagram or check the news or the stock market or our email or play a game or do all the things all at once because we can do that. But how often do we just spend time maybe in that silent space to think about What really matters in our life? Where do we find our identity, our sense of purpose? Why do we keep ourselves so busy and distracted and binge-watching, you know, Netflix all the time? We are addicted to distraction, and, and I'm guilty of this too. You know, and it does worry me. I wonder if the distraction of our time is, in a way, its own silent pandemic. I'm reminded of Henry David Thoreau's quote in Walden, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I wonder how true those words are, especially in modern times. I wonder how many of us go about our days leading lives of quiet desperation because we fail to live our daily life in worship to God. If we fail to unplug from the endless distractions of the world around us, we will never get a glimpse of the eternal things that we were made for. So I've found myself here at the beginning of the new year, 2021, thinking about the year behind and hopeful for better things to come in the year ahead. And I've realized that if we have learned anything from the past 12 months, it's that Life can throw a lot of things at us. I think we can all agree on that, probably. 
And we can also be so distracted by all the things that are going on around us and in our world that we fail to take time to just draw near to God. There is a deep need in each and every one of our souls that no earthly thing can quench. Only God can. And it's time we lift up our eyes. So as we begin this new year, let's do so with hearts set on the Lord and worshiping him with reverence and joy in spirit and in truth. And I want to end with these words from Psalm 95. And Gary, if you wouldn't mind, just leave these up during our, our time of offering just for reflection if you'd like to reflect on these words. But Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His providential care. I added the word providential. but Reflect on these words. How can these words be a part of your day today, your week ahead, and this year to come? How do we worship the Lord? Amen. Oh.
Before we enter, enter into our time of prayer, I wanted to uh, just offer, is, is there any prayer requests that uh, any of you have that you'd like us to lift up, lift up in prayer this morning? If you have anything, just give me a little hand raise. All right. I, I like the nine o'clock service because it's a little more, um, you know, intimate, and so I think we can ask that from time to time. So uh, we will, I will allow for a, a time of just silence in this uh, time of prayer. So if you do have any, anyone near and dear to your heart that you'd like to pray for, uh, you'll have an opportunity for that. Uh, but before I begin us in prayer, um, just a quick update on Brian Armand Trout. So what was it, last Friday, Saturday morning? Get my days mixed up now. Uh, he was rushed to the hospital. Um, Essentially, what doctors found out is he had a collapsed lung and a torn esophagus. They've done uh, surgery, a couple surgeries. Uh, they seem, seems like he's on the mend. They feel um, kind of happy about where things are at, but he's still got a, definitely a road ahead of him. Um, they're going to try to remove his breathing tube um, either today or tomorrow or, or the next day. So that'll be upcoming. So please uh, continue prayers each and every day for Brian and also for Mary and the kids, the, their whole family. It's been, it's been, wow, what a week uh, for them. Well, let us go to God in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, because you love us, we can come to you with our request. Lord, you care for us. And your word tells us that we can cast our anxiety and our cares upon you because you do love us. Lord, there are many in and around our congregation that are in need of prayer. 
Now, many families have experienced loss, not only recently, but over the course of this difficult year. Many have um, struggled with illness and cancer and going through treatments um, and many other situations, Lord. Specifically, we pray this morning, we continue to pray for Nick and Ann Bailey and their family, for Carrie Four's family and the loss of her brother, Denny, for Jim, Jim McCandless's family, and of course, we continue to pray for Brian Armentrout and Mary and the kids. We pray for healing and recovery, and uh, God, may they know that we care for them deeply. Lord, we continue to pray for Allie and uh, her placement and her future, for Lyndall and his upcoming uh, cancer treatment. We continue to pray for Bart and Patricia, neighbor's son, Gregory, and for Sandy Lee Hamilton, for Mark McLean, for Paige and Cam Dean. And Lord, we also pray for our nation this upcoming week with uh, the upcoming inauguration. I know tensions are high. Um, God, may our country find a spirit of unity and a spirit of peace and a spirit of brotherly love. God, heal our nation. Lord, there's many people within our families or our friends or those that we know of that are in need of prayer. So in these few moments of silence, Lord, we lift our prayers to you now. Please be seated. Well, in light of the events at the United States Capitol last week, I switched up what I had originally planned to preach on last Sunday. So today, we're going to look at the text that was originally planned for, for last week. And I thought I'd start just by sharing a little of where my mind was prior to the events that happened at the Capitol. Well, I, like many of you and those around our community and nation, I suspect, you know, found myself feeling a little more optimistic about what 2021 uh, would bring, you know, this hopefully the steady return to normalcy and our normal uh, ways in which we just go about our day-to-day -day lives. And I, I felt like the start of the new year was, was kind of a, a pivotal point, you know, maybe for our nation, for our communities, for our own lives. And I knew it, you know, wouldn't all happen magically all at once. It's not like, you know, the ball drops 2021, January 1st, and, you know, hey, everything's back to normal. I knew that wasn't going to be the case. But uh, I wasn't prepared for the, uh, the sucker punch. It felt like 2021 gave us right off the bat. You know, for me, it, it interrupted that, that sense of optimism that, uh, that I had. But, but I'm still hopeful. I'm still hopeful that we will see our way out of the pandemic. And I'm still hopeful that uh, our country will find a greater sense of, of unity and peace. Um, well, our text today is a really insightful passage of Scripture. Uh, it'll immediately sound familiar to you, or I hope it does, uh, but before we read it, let us pray. Eternal God, we are prone to fear and doubt, to pride and defensiveness, and we often refuse to let our guard down for fear of being exposed or of being made vulnerable. 
But we pray this morning that your spirit would break through the walls that we have built up and that you would build us anew. Where there is fear and doubt, grant us confidence and assurance in your love for us. Where there is pride and defensiveness, grant us humility and gentleness. And may your word truly be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path to guide us in your truth, that we may live according to your will. Amen. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what was planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, or I don't know, maybe social distance in that case, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the hearts, or into man's hearts. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so, let, or so that people fear before him. God's truth for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Well, this passage, especially for you 60s music lovers, is the inspiration behind the song, Turn, 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 by the birds. Or uh, I think sometimes it's called For Every Season. And I was uh, talking to Wes kind of before the 9 o'clock service. I was like, hey, do you by chance know this song? And he's like, oh, I don't know, let me hear it again. And, and then he like starts basically playing it, and I was just like, Wow. And then in the 9 o'clock service, I was kind of talking about this, and then he just starts playing. So I'm just going to let you take it away for a little bit. <laughs> a man of many talents he is. Christiana, you're a lucky woman right there. Uh, but that song, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. Um, and actually, I thought about playing more of this uh, song this morning, but since we're live streaming, I'm not sure about copyright issues and things like that, so I didn't want us to get flagged and taken off the internet. So just, if you know how the song goes, as Wes uh, provides us a little intro, you can just kind of hum it along in your head if you want. But the song takes almost verbatim the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, the, the King James Version anyway. But the song also, it doesn't keep every verse in order as it appears in 
in Ecclesiastes, but it does go through each and every one of those progressions of the first eight verses. So in reality, you know, we're talking about copyright things and getting in trouble there. I mean, the copyright credit for the 1960s song is really, it goes to the Bible. Um, You know, and the lyrics, they're not just 60 years old, but they're 3,000 years old. And that to me, I don't know about you, but that's just fascinating to me that something so ancient is so insightful and relevant and speaks to us today. The book of Ecclesiastes, it's traditionally believed uh, to be written by King Solomon. Uh, We know this not because his name appears in the book, but from the very beginning, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And there's another part in there where it gives kind of that same uh, emphasis. So largely we believe it was written by Solomon, a man of wisdom who prayed to God for wisdom, and this is a book of wisdom. And these questions that Solomon kind of deals with throughout Ecclesiastes, they're these big questions of life. And they're these same questions that we think about today, if we allow ourselves to. You know, it's just fascinating to me that these questions have been the same questions for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole, it's, it's interesting because it's, a journey of sorts of one person's personal reflections on life. Ecclesiastes considers the question, what is this all about? What is our life all about? What is this world all about? What is this existence all about? I mean, that's some, that's some deep thinking kind of stuff. Uh, I know you're probably thinking, you know, this is Sunday morning, Tyler, morning. I haven't had lunch yet. Like, let's not start thinking existential questions or anything like that. Uh, And I don't blame you. These aren't the kind of questions we think about when we just want to watch football or, you know, we're trying to figure out what kind of cereal to get at the grocery store. These are like deep questions in life. And usually they're questions that we only think about when life stops us or interrupts us, overwhelms us maybe. Or maybe it's those questions that pop up, you know, in those quiet hours in the middle of the night when we can't sleep, things like that. These things are things that often, for the most part, we probably try to avoid thinking about. We would rather be distracted, uh, you know, rather than face the deep existential questions of the meaning of life and why we exist and all that. But it's still interesting to me that for thousands of years, people have been trying to find meaning in existence. And 3,000 years ago, King Solomon was doing the same thing. And I don't know this for sure. This is just in my brain how I imagine King Solomon. You know, he's just in a quiet place. Maybe he's sitting by a creek, a little babbling brook, kind of watching the water go by, thinking about life. Or maybe he's sitting under a, a tree in the springtime as the buds are about to bloom. Maybe, maybe he's in, it's in autumn sitting under that same tree, but the leaves are changing and falling. And he's just thinking about how the world turns and changes and just keeps going. Or maybe like us sometimes, maybe he was just couldn't sleep in the middle of the night and just said, I'm going to think about life and write some of this down. We don't really know. Wherever he was, whatever he was doing, we know he was thinking about life. 
Earlier in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, he tells us his purpose for writing. He says, I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Solomon uses those, those phrases, all that is done under heaven, or there's another one that he uses from time to time, all that is under the sun, meaning everything that happens on this earth, everything that happens in our lives, around our lives, in this world. He's trying to find meaning in all this stuff that happens under the heavens, under the sun, on this earth. What is the meaning of all this? Well, in his thinking, Solomon understands something fundamental about the universe and about life, and that is change. Life is filled with change. And last Sunday, um, if you remember, I mentioned the quote, you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Well, today I thought I would offer two more old sayings. These are much more ancient than the one I mentioned last week. They have their roots in the ancient world. Heraclitus of Ephesus was a Greek philosopher, and he lived from about 535 B.C. till about 475 B.C. And so just for perspective for maybe you history buffs out there, Heraclitus lived just before the great Greek philosopher Socrates. Socrates was born in 470 and then Aristotle was born after that. Uh, he lived in the 300s BC. But for biblical perspective, Heraclitus lived about 500 years after Solomon. So there's Solomon, 500 years, and the Greek Empire comes to, to power. Heraclitus lived in that time. And then that's also 500 years until we get to Jesus. So right in the middle between Solomon and, and Jesus. That's, that's where these quotes um, have their roots. And I say they have their roots because it's not exactly what he said and it's not exactly the full meaning of what he said, but they have their roots in his work. And the first one is, change is the only constant. Have you ever heard that? I mean, it makes sense to us if we think about it. The only thing that doesn't change in life is that life is always changing. We are not the same today as we were yesterday. Life is a little different. We're a little older or, you know, our day looks different. What happens today is different from yesterday and tomorrow will be different from today and it just goes on and on and on. Change is the only constant. And the other quote attributed to him is, you cannot step into the same river twice. So any of you nature uh, explorers out there, you know, what, it, what he means is water in a river by nature is always flowing. So you can't step into the same spot of water, that's those same molecules of water twice, because by nature it's just always changing, it's always in flux. Change is a part of life, and whether we think about it or not, we're always in a constant state of change. And it doesn't take a great philosopher to tell us that, I just think some of these quotes are interesting. But we know that change, you know, sometimes it's just small, it's unnoticeable, you know, it's the day-to-day -day things. We don't really notice that much change in us from day-to-day, -day, but there's still change. But sometimes we know that there's big change that happens, the kind of change that hits us like a semi-truck. You know, it could be the kind of change that puts us in a better place, or it can be the kind of change that pulls the rug out from under us, and we fall just flat on our face. It could be happy change or devastating change. 
In our passage today, Solomon understood the reality that in life we will experience change. It's a part of life. There is a time for everything. There are seasons in life that are good, and there are seasons in life that are really difficult. There's war and peace, love and hate, mourning and dancing, weeping and laughing, birth and death. Those are a part of life. Those are a reality. And we experience different seasons of life. But here's the thing. The promise of Scripture is that God is with us through it all, through all the seasons of change. Providence, other than being the state capital of Rhode Island, providence is a word that is used to describe God's ongoing care for creation. And I don't mean creation is just like rocks and grass and trees and, you know, nature stuff. I mean creation as in our lives, the events of our lives, the events of our world. Providence is God's ongoing care for all of creation. The God of Scripture is not a God who is far off and removed from the happenings of the world, but a God who is intimately involved with it. The God of Scripture is the God who not only created the universe, but who made a covenant with Abraham, who revealed himself to Moses and led the Israelites out of Egypt, who spoke through the prophets. He is the God who sent his one and only Son into the world to be our Savior and Redeemer. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Word made flesh who dwelled among us, full of grace and truth. He is the God who sent his Spirit to us, to guide us, to comfort us, to intercede for us. He is the God to whom the apostle says, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And who the apostle Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He is the God who Psalm 139 speaks of when it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And I can go on through the entirety of Psalm 139, but I think you get my point that the God of Scripture is the God who cares for us. But here's an important point. The Bible never tells us that bad things won't happen in life. In fact, as we saw in our passage today, it's a foregone conclusion that bad things will and do happen in life. There's ups and there's downs. But God's providence, uh, God's providence doesn't guarantee that our every human desire will be met or that we will never experience pain. It's no prosperity gospel. God's providence does, however, assure us that God cares for you and absolutely nothing, nothing in all of creation and all of this world or beyond could separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can jeopardize that. God is sovereign and his providence endures unabated. He will accomplish his purposes. And it's precisely because God cares for us that our lives have meaning. Because God cares for us, 
our lives have meaning. That's why we even exist in the first place. And in Ecclesiastes, what Solomon wants us to understand is that our life, if you look at the whole of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wants us to understand that our life's meaning isn't simply just in our work. It's not in our interest. It's not in our riches. It's not in our ambitions. It's not in all the things that keep us busy and occupied, you know, that takes up so much of our time and energy and focus. What he says is all those things under the sun, all those things that we fill our day-to-day with, unto themselves, all those things are utterly meaningless. So where does that leave us? What is our life all about? What do we do now? Well, I love this part. It's at the very, very end of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon gives us his conclusion to the question of life's meaning and what we are to do. And he says, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Another way to say that, in conclusion. (laughs) Fear God and keep his commandments. For that is the whole duty of everyone. To fear God, meaning to revere God. Or in other words, the worship of God. Our meaning is not found in ourselves, but in God. All we have left to do is worship. And I don't just mean standing around singing songs, and and I love the song we sang uh, earlier, He is Exalted. I don't mean just those songs. Worship is a daily posture of reverence before God. It's a surrender to God and a delighting in God. It's a response of joy and thanks to God's grace To worship God means that we exalt God with the whole of our lives. It's like, as Paul said, in whatever you do, whether word or deed, do everything in the name of Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our life's meaning is not found in what is under the sun. It's not found in what's around us or that occupy us here. Our life's relevance is found in what is eternal. God has put eternity into our hearts, as Solomon says. He has made us for more than this world. We are part of a bigger redemptive story, and our souls matter, and our life's meaning is found in God, and all this is through faith in Christ. For Paul tells us, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, I think in our day and age, we fail to think, you know, much about the significance of life and meaning of life, I think. Often we're too distracted. I think we're too addicted to distraction. The endless expanse of, you know, the internet is in our pockets. We can stream anything, anytime, from anywhere we want. And if we're waiting somewhere, you know, be it at the doctor's office or getting your oil changed or, you know, picking your kids up from school, what do we often do? We, you know, pull out our phones and just start texting someone or check Facebook or Instagram or check the news or the stock market check our email, play a game, or we do it all at the same time because we can. That's just where we are in society. 
Rarely do we unplug. Rarely do we just kind of turn things off and think on God and turn our hearts to God. We're so addicted to distraction. And I'm, I'm guilty of this too. But it worries me. I wonder if the distractions of our time is the real silent pandemic. I'm reminded of Henry David Thoreau's quote in Walden, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. The mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I wonder how true those words are, especially in modern times. I wonder how many of us go about our day-to-day lives leading lives of quiet desperation because we fail to live in daily worship of our God. If we fail to unplug from the endless distractions of the world around us, we will never get a glimpse of the eternal things that we were made for. So I found myself, as I mentioned earlier, earlier at the you know, beginning of what is now 2021, thinking about the year behind, all that we've been through, hopeful for the better things to come in the year ahead. And I've realized that if we've learned anything over the past 12 months, that uh, we've learned that life can throw a lot of things at us. I mean, I think we can all agree on, on that. And we can be so distracted by all these things that go on around us. It's hard not to be. But we let them utterly consume us sometimes. We all desire that our lives matter. I mean, really. We do. We want our lives to matter. But do we take time to really draw near to God? There is a deep need in each and every one of our souls that no earthly thing can quench. Only God can. It's time we lift up our eyes. As we begin this year, let us do so with hearts set on the Lord and worshiping Him with reverence and joy in spirit spirit and in truth. And I'll end with these words from Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7. Before I read them, uh, Jim, if you will leave these words up through our offertory time, I just want to leave these on the screen and let these be a part of your prayer. You know, think about how you can take these words with you out these doors today or, you know, through this next week or into the year 2021. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Amen.
Try. 